Hello, and welcome to another Lighthouse Manna podcast. I'm Pastor Jeff Glenn, and it's my pleasure to take you through the Word each week. We've been going through Genesis. Uh, Last week, we saw in Genesis 17, um, Abram's name change and how he, as Abraham, reacted to the news of um, this promise, really, from, from the Lord that great nations would be, would be made of his offspring. And so today in Genesis 18, we actually have two stories in this chapter, but they have the, the common theme of displaying God's faithfulness. And so today we'll, we'll actually see how Sarah responded to this promise that the nations would come from her offspring. And so chapter 18 opens with this visit to Abraham from, from three men. And, and, and men, um, it seems that they're messengers from the Lord. And, um, well, it doesn't seem, it says so. Um, and one of them, Abraham, actually calls Lord. And so this is, this is an indication of what we see here is a, is a pre-incarnate Jesus, a, a theophany or a, or a Christology, Christophany. You know what I'm saying. Um, so this encounter is very interesting because it also points to this Lord Um, being this divine figure that Abraham sees, he immediately sets out running around um, preparing a meal for him, including, um, you know, this young calf and the, the butter and the goat's milk and all of that. And so we see Abraham he reverenced this Lord and, and showed great urgency to go and serve him and, and his companions. And so even, even urging them, hey, don't pass by me until you can, you can stop and, and I can serve you. And so um, as they talked with, this, with the Lord, um, the Lord promised to return to them according to the time of life in reference to Sarah, meaning when, when Sarah would conceive and, and bear a son. And so Sarah's in the tent and she overhears this conversation. And then the, it says here that she laughed within herself. So this isn't an outward laugh. And somehow uh, the Lord hears it. Well, not somehow. He's um, um, omniscient. He knows everything. And so um, Sarah sees this, hears this conversation, and um, kind of in a questioning way is laughing within herself that she um, had heard this from the Lord. And so the Lord calls her on this, and to make matters worse, she, she lies to the Lord, saying, I, I wasn't laughing. And of course, the Lord knows um, what's going on inside of us. And so she was, she was busted. And then, and then because of that, the, the Lord's response to her is, in verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? And that's, and that's a great question. I mean, no matter how rhetorical it may be, it's we need to ask ourselves this question constantly about the Lord and his promises. Like, like, like is anything too hard? Um, absolutely not. The answer is no. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Yet sometimes we think that the fulfillment of God's promises are unlikely considering our circumstances, as if our circumstances are where we find ourselves um, is somehow a hindrance to God. And then other times, we just flat out refuse to believe. But what we see here um, is Sarah laughing because of the 
the circumstances that she finds herself in. She finds herself as, as an old woman, way past the, the time of uh, natural child, childbearing years. And so she somehow thinks that's somehow a hindrance for the Lord. And, and the Lord says, not so. I mean, nothing's too hard for me, in a sense. And so, listen, God's faithfulness does not depend, is not driven by our circumstances where we find ourselves in life physically. That's that's outside of God's um, consideration. God is God and he'll do what he wants to do. So in verse 19, we, we see the transition into the second story um, with this promise or, or this, this purpose statement um, that comes out of the Lord's promise for Abraham. And he says here that, For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household. He's speaking of Abraham. That that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And so this idea that Abraham would, would pass on through his family that he hadn't yet had this um, righteousness and justice um, is the purpose of the Lord bringing this promise to him and bringing him children so that this promise and, and covenant would, would perpetuate and that is why the Lord is doing this. And, and then we see this pivot right here to the, the Lord heading to Sodom and Gomorrah. And in verse 21, we, we have the Lord here telling us what he's about to do. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And so Abraham knows exactly what this means. It's, it's also, in a sense, a rhetorical question. The, the, the Lord full well knows the sin and wickedness going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. So by him stating that he'll go down and acknowledge the outcry, this means that he will judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And in fact, um, God's holiness demands that he would judge Sodom and Gomorrah for, for their wickedness. In, in the 1800s, Jonathan Edwards wrote a sermon that he entitled, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. And the, the gist of this sermon was that, that God is angry at sin. He will pour out his wrath on sin. And so, so that's the bad news of the gospel, right? We know that gospel means good news, but without this bad news of the impending judgment and subsequent wrath of God, then, then the good news kind of falls flat if, if God does not pour out his wrath upon sin. So then in our century, in our day and age, R.C. Sproul wrote a sermon titled, God in the Hands of Angry Sinners. And in it, he describes how times have changed regarding the, you know, the stomach of the big C church um, to receive this kind of fire and brimstone preaching, um, as if love and grace are God's only attributes. So he, he goes on to write that, that God is all too often to re referred to today as, as he quotes here, God is altogether sweet to me. My God is a God of love, but a, but a God of love who has no wrath is no God. 
He is an idol of our own making as much as if we carved him out of stone. So this idea that, that somehow we, we can remove the, the nature and character of God to, to pour out his wrath upon sin and only view God in terms of his, of his mercy and in his love creates an idol that um, we are guarded against, warned against uh, creating. And so Abraham both knew the God of love and mercy and the God of wrath. Uh, he's one in the same. And he's faithful to both, but, but not at the expense of, of the other, right? So, so his, 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 his love and mercy don't diminish because of his wrath. In fact, they, com they complete each other. And so Abraham knew that Sodom and Gomorrah were to receive God's judgment and wrath. And so whether it was strictly for Lot and his family's sake or not, um, it certainly was within Abraham's understanding that that of God's perfect justice, right? This, this character of God to, to execute perfect justice, right? So as he's asking if God would destroy a city with 50 righteous men in it, this is where we begin that conversation where Abraham is, is, ask, is engaging with the Lord of um, supposing if there were 50 men and then supposing if there were 45 and, and reducing that on and down. Um, So not only did Abraham have his theology dialed in correctly regarding God's character and nature, he also had a correct understanding of the character and nature of man in this conversation here with, with this reduced amount each time until they, they, they come to, this, to, to the end here. So in his, in his plea or conversation with the Lord, he continually reduces the number. And you know, so he was saying, you know, would suppose there were five less than 50 righteous, and then he would go on to say, suppose, suppose there would be 45 or 40, and um, then what about 30, and, and so on, each, each time reducing it. Um, this displays Abraham's correct understanding of, of, of man um, that is in alignment with what the, the psalmist would later write in Psalm 14.3. They have all turned aside. They have all together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, no, not one. Um, even, even in Romans, Paul would say, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus himself in Luke 18, 19 said, no one is good except God alone. And so armed with his correct theology, Abraham knew that God would fulfill his mandate to execute justice on Sodom and Gomorrah. And um, so... so that's an encouragement for us also. Um, it's also a caution, right? So that, so that whether it's, it's a promise, as he promised to Sarah, or um, an obligation to, to pour out his wrath, or, or his, his mercy, um, God will be faithful to fulfill all of those and still maintain his nature and character. And so until next week, stay encouraged and stay in the Word.